love was something that it's a verb, right? It's something that you do, but it's also something that you are. Are you capable of unconditionally loving others? And are you capable of unconditionally loving yourself? What is going on? Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 224 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course have some fun along the way. For episode 224, I am chatting with Rosie Acosta. She is an international speaker, a yoga and meditation teacher, and also host of the Radically Loved podcast. In today's episode, Rosie opens up about growing up in a tough neighborhood in Los Angeles, getting in trouble with the law, navigating the repercussions of that, which eventually led her to embracing a mindfulness practice. Rosie opens up about how she was able to stick with meditation, getting past the hurdles that many of us face with a brand new practice to make it really work for her. With patience, she says that the practice eventually helped her find a greater sense of self and happiness, plus a new career path. She also chats with me about her new chapter, creating content for Headspace in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month, and offers up some helpful tips for anyone else who feels like they struggle with sticking with mindfulness. Rosie's energy is electric. I know that you are going to love her story, and I'm grateful that we were able to make this happen, especially as I noted during Hispanic Heritage Month. A huge shout out to the hurdlers that I met over the weekend in Chicago, plus the good people at Tracksmith for having me at their Chicago Marathon pop-up. I had a blast with all of you. A lot of questions coming into my DMs about what I may be doing surrounding New York Marathon. Trust me, I've got information coming for you soon, so stay tuned. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I myself am over at Emily Abadi. And speaking of DMs, I get a lot of DMs that ask questions that I answer regularly in the weekly Hurdle newsletter. If you don't subscribe, yet, I highly encourage you to do so. This way, you'll get a lot of the same motivation, inspiration, stuff that you love from the show, plus gear picks, other highlights, things that I'm reading and listening to directly in your inbox every single Friday. The link to subscribe is in the show notes. Last little bit of housekeeping here. If you haven't taken the time just yet to rate and review the show and you consider yourself a hurdler, I need you to do me this solid. Head on in to Apple Podcasts or wherever else you may be listening to this and give the show five stars, rate and review it. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find this goodness. (laughs) I think that is it for now. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Rosie Acosta. She is Headspace's newest meditation teacher. How are you doing today, Rosie? I'm doing so good. I'm so glad, as I said earlier, to get to do this with you because I know you've got a lot of big events. I'm a runner, so I'm like, I'm knowing what is happening right now. Like, (laughs) the schedule of your life is very inspiring to me. Thank you. I appreciate those kind words. This is certainly a, this is like busy season for someone like me. Like I get the opportunity not only to do what I love, which is run and do it 
for long periods of time. But then I also get to talk to other people about doing this thing that we, I love and that they love. And then I get to travel around and see lots of people do the thing. So I feel very fortunate. But this is not about me. <laughs> this is about I'm gonna you. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying to like you are. This is what I get chatting with a fellow podcast host. Do you want to tell the hurdlers a little bit about your show? Sure. Yes. Uh, my, I have a podcast that I've been doing, uh, since 2016. It's called the rat. And I did take breaks in between, by the way, not consistently since 2016, but that's how long I've been. I don't know, like doing the show, I guess it's called, uh, the radically loved podcast. And we, yeah, we talk about all types of different things. Initially it started as a, um, just like an author based interview show. And then it just sort of turned into this, yeah, like wellness show. And I just use it as an excuse to talk to awesome people like yourself. Figuring out a way to talk to people and learn from people and create a career out of it. It's truly one of the most beautiful opportunities within my being. So I relate. I really relate. Yeah, I'm into it. And it, it's been, you know, a really interesting learning process just with regard to, um, I guess, really like the type of content that we're putting out there. For for me, I just, when I first launched the podcast, I thought that like I'd have thousands of downloads. Like I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to put this out and everybody's going to want to listen to this. And literally, it was two people. It was me and my boyfriend, Tori, at the time, who was producing the, the episodes. And I was just like, oh, like this is, it, in a way, it gave me the safety cushion that I needed to really relax and let myself just be who I was without being worried. In fact, some of the first episodes, you hear me say, like, nobody's listening to this, so it's fine, you know, and and we would just have these really honest and vulnerable conversations. And it really helped, I think, shape the show because after a while, obviously, more people started listening to it and it started to, to gain a little bit of traction. And so, um, yeah, but I really I love that my initial introduction was kind of like a fall flat on my face experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And your note about it feeling super intimate, that is without a doubt my favorite part of podcasting. I had Rad Lopez from Peloton in the studio yesterday, and we really got into it, not to throw him under the bus or anything, but he cried with me. We were really digging in. And at the end, when the mic turned off, I looked at him and I said, how does all of that make you feel? And I gave him like a moment to really digest and remember that you and I having this conversation, it does feel like really beautiful and an opportunity for us to get to know each other. And that's exactly what it is. But it's also a means of communication that then broadcasts to so many others. And again, that's what I kind of dig about podcasting. I think it's a fun way for us to be our authentic selves. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm like, tell me more. <laughs> Speaking of being our authentic selves, Rosie, I want to know a little bit about you and your authentic self. I know that one doesn't get to be in forces, in cahoots with a company like Headspace just by being so stellar of a human. So talk to us a little bit about your journey. Talk to us about how long you have been working in the meditation space. Yeah, that's a, it's funny. I'm like, it, it doesn't just happen like that. I guess it doesn't nowadays, right? You have to really sort of create and, and pave your own way. I, I grew up in East Los Angeles in the early 90s during probably one of the most violent times in the history of Los Angeles. We grew immigrant family, Mexican-American. My family was a, a big family that lived in a small two-bedroom apartment in this housing project in East LA. And our neighborhood got basically over time overrun with you know, the disenfranchised youth that was being sort of left to their own devices because everyone's parents were working two jobs. So what happens is that, you know, people start, kids start to get in trouble. So yeah, our neighborhood got overrun by gang violence and, 
just domestic abuse. Like it was just really chaotic. So, I mean, there was drive-by shootings and, you know, people getting stabbed and it was just very, very um, chaotic, but it was the same circumstances that everybody I knew was growing up around. So it wasn't abnormal. It was very much part of the status quo of the time. And so by the time I was a teenager, I was, you know, getting in trouble with the law. I was experimenting with drugs. I was drinking and just hanging out with the wrong crowd, which some were my relatives, right? I mean, it just, you're, it's such a strongly linked tribe, this sort of pack mentality when you're in situations like that, because that's really all the support that you have. Most of the Mm -hmm. time, parents aren't really involved, right? Because they're not there. So, so I was a teenager. I was, uh, you know, I, I got arrested a handful of times, you know, just kind of silly things. And then what's a silly thing? Well, (laughs) one was, uh, I was tagging. It's my way of doing art. I was just tagging on the side of a business and we got, you know, the cops came and they ID'd everybody. And I was, the thing about me was that I didn't look like my other friends. You know, I was like the sort of goth kid, you know, I was the wearing the docks and the, or the chucks, you know, all black. That was my way of not having to affiliate with a gang, I guess. It was my way of protecting myself so that I wouldn't be... You have to think about your safety a lot of the times when you're growing up in environments Mm -hmm. like that, right? So I always seem to sort of get off or get let go. And so that was one of the times. Another time I was caught like fighting on the street in a little brawl of sorts and... The third time, I like it makes me sound so. Every time I talk about it, I'm like, like this is this what happened, you know? I talk about it on my book, you know, and it's so funny. Every time I talk about it in public, it always gives me pause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got arrested for trying to steal a cop car. So mm-hmm. once that happened, I did get arrested. I did get booked, and I think that was the moment where I realized the booking officer. I'll, I'll never forget this that was booking me basically looked at me and was very sort of, I don't know, just mocking in a way and sort of being pompous and basically said to me, welcome to life in the system. And that did not sit well with me at all. And I think that was the moment where I felt this energy of I knew that I didn't really fit in to the crowd that I was hanging out with, but I also didn't know where else to fit in. There was no modeled behavior, no sort of, yeah, like role models to look up to. It was just basically the people I was around, right? So I ended up getting probation for six months and it was like the most strict probation in the world, especially to a a 15 year old girl that, you know, likes to go out past six o'clock. I had a curfew. I had community service. I had to go to anger management. I had all of these things I needed to do. And at the time I was suffering from debilitating panic attacks. I would get these random bouts of panic. And Mm. the interesting thing is nobody knew why that was happening. And I'm like, oh, it could have been the fact that she was experiencing, you know, she's seen people get stabbed. And then there was this drive-by shooting and these people getting beat up in front of her, you know, just the things that you would think now, hindsight, obviously, those types of things can be cause for PTSD. And so all of the signs were there. And I was really having a hard time and trying to really figure out what I wanted to to do. You know, I really felt like I was at a crossroads at that time. I was either going to conform to what society expected of me and become just another statistic or I would 
go against the grain and do something else. I didn't know what that something else was. And I think a lot of the times, even now, whenever I work with people or I talk to people, it's like, I always like to remember that moment where I didn't know what the other was, but I knew that this choice was not an option. And I think that for some people, it's like just having that comfort of knowing, even though I don't know where I want to go, I know that this isn't it. So it's almost the confidence of knowing maybe I don't know what I want, but I definitely know what I don't want. And so it was during that time that my mom, uh, my mom's friend had been familiar with meditation and yoga and had heard that meditation was really great for stress and anxiety and gave my mom these pamphlets. And my mom showed up basically and left them on the counter or on the bed. I can't remember exactly where, but that was how we communicated because we had a really tenuous relationship. She was a single mom at the time. And I just opened this pamphlet about this book about meditation and I was really into new agey things too. I was like, give me all the horoscopes and the astrology and everything. So I was able to feel that new agey quality to it. And it just opened the door. Uh, I started to read more about meditation and I started to learn about mindfulness and it, it took some time. It didn't just happen overnight, but I started to meditate and it started to really change my life. I I think it was the first time I'd ever experienced being in my body and feeling my breath where I felt like it was home and like this was where I needed to be. Most of the time, the associations to my body were uh, – of fight or flight, right? The only mm -hmm. time I ever felt intensity was when I was in fear, which was a lot of the time. So that was that was my foray. You know, that's how I got into into meditation. And once I started to meditate more, uh, and as the time went on, I got more into learning about mental health and wellness and nutrition. And I started to see how everything around me started was affecting me, not just affecting me, but affecting everybody in my environment, my family. And so my life began to change over a, a certain amount, a, a period of time. And I wanted to learn how to bring this to people like the people that I grew up with, you know, like how do I bring this thing that's really helping me in my path and on my journey to people like yeah, the people that I grew up with or friends of mine that I had known for a long time that were really struggling with the same issues that I was. It's so interesting to hear you talk so positively about your introductory experiences into meditation because oftentimes I feel as though that isn't an experience that's commonly shared, right? Oh, yeah. No, it wasn't like, oh, I opened a book on meditation and then it went, no, 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 no. Let me, let me backtrack. <laughs> let me explain this. Okay. I'm just, I'm just giving you the broad strokes, right? Like my first forays into meditation were not awesome. First of all, me closing my eyes was not going to happen because that was really an unsafe space for me, right? That did not feel good. And so all of these instructions of, focusing on an object, I'm like, yo, I'm on the floor in this nasty ass apartment and there's like crumbs on the floor and my shit's all over the place. Like there's clothes and just this, it's gnarly here. This is just not the vibe, you know? So it was, yeah, like my first forays were not <laughs> awesome, but I did keep showing up. Like that was more of the the anchor for me was the consistency. It was the, okay, even though I think I'm pretty much doing this wrong, in fact, I can guarantee you that I'm doing this wrong. I continued to show up and I would get these short bouts, very short fleeting bouts of peace. And I think it was those short moments of 
the spaces between thoughts that would get me to feel something where I felt like, okay, maybe this isn't working, but there's something about it that does feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And that good feeling is one that held you in, but isn't the thing that keeps everybody else coming back for more. Beyond that feeling, what do you think about the practice kept you returning? What do you think about this time period? How much did you start doing at once? I would just do like five minutes, I think. Right. At most. Right. Um, so what was, do you think about that five minutes like was so intriguing to you that you kept coming back? I think mostly for me, it was just the ability to be still. It was just the being in one place because I was very much involved in what we all are, you know, thinking about the past or projecting into the future and living in the state of the unknown. Am I going to go to jail? Am I not going to go to jail? Like, what is my life going to look like? Uh, I think those were just those brief moments where I could just breathe and not have to do anything else, even if it was just for those short five minutes. Like it was just that, that little bit of time to sort of regain my composure to go back into the world. And, and even at the time, Emily, like I didn't even give it that much thought. It wasn't even that in depth for me. It was just something that I began to do consistently that felt like, okay, this is something that I'm doing. Nobody knows. I'm not telling, this isn't something I can post, right? We didn't have any of that. This isn't something that I could tell everybody, especially not my friends and especially not my family that was like dev devout Catholic, right? So, because it just seemed a little out there, right? So it was maybe just an opportunity for me to do something that I decided to do that mm -hmm. felt good. Would you say that there was anything else in your life up until this point that kind of fell into the same bucket? I think mostly for me, it was just, I felt like a lot of that time was spent during those later teenage years were spent like bobbing and weaving from trouble. And I think a lot of kids like, the ones that I grew up with, you know, we live in this environment and grow up in this state, especially growing up in a big city, you know, it's like you're constantly dodging and weaving danger and obstacles. And so I think that for the most part, when you grow up having that innate quality about yourself, you know, you don't really get a lot of opportunities to feel safe or be still, yeah. right? Yeah. I really appreciate also what you said about knowing that you didn't feel safe in the space to sit there with your eyes closed. You had this kind of wisdom beyond where you were at to meet yourself where you were at so that you could do something for yourself, despite that thing, maybe not looking how it had been instilled in you that it quote unquote should look. And so I would then turn that observation around to you and ask you what other best practice tips or maybe suggestions you would provide for someone who's trying to make the act of meditation more accessible for them. Yeah. I mean, God, I am such a big fan of just telling people to meet themselves where they are. Like so many people try to do meditation. I'm doing air quotes. Right. And, and that I think is the part that it, it drives me a little mad. Right. So, because I feel that most people if we give ourselves the permission to really land where we are, it then creates the space that we need for 
our happiness and our wellness, right? It, it gives ourselves the opportunity to say, okay, like here I am, I'm going to create, I'm going to make this time to meditate or to start this practice that I've, I'm not, I've not really done. I'm not good at, and I'm going to just do what I can, right? I think that that takes the pressure off of people because meditation can sometimes be intimidating. And the other thing is that I think we don't talk about how hard it is to sit still, you know, for a lot of people. And I think that that's one of the biggest, uh, you know, obstacles that we have to move through just as people in the modern day living in the year 2022, you know, we're not monks living at the monastery where we could just go and be safe and be fed and, you know, kind of live this life. You know, we live in a world that has really intense things happening all around us. We have relationships, we have careers, we have goals, we have dreams, we have failures. Like we have all of these things that we grapple with just as being human. And so when you think about your life as a whole <laughs> and then you're being instructed, oh, now go sit with all that. Like go have a seat and be still. For some people, maybe that's their place where they can get that solace experience. For me, even now, 20 plus years later, it is, I still need to move. Like a lot of my meditation and mindfulness practice is running, it's moving, it's it's going for a walk and then sitting. Then I can sit still, you know, because it's like my body needs to have the the expression of all of the busyness that's happening in my mind, right? Or else I can't be still. So so I think people need to know that it is a lot to ask of you to sit and be still. And it's okay yeah. that it is a lot. And, and you shouldn't feel bad for feeling like, man, you're asking me to do a lot. Because I've heard teachers say, it's like, just sit. I mean, I've said it before. Okay. So I'm guilty of it. I will call myself out. I will be the person that's like, you have 1,440 minutes in a day. You can take five minutes to sit and be still. It's like, okay, yeah, that's great. I can, but it's going to be really stressful for me, right? So it's like, okay, take five minutes. What does your mindfulness practice look like? Maybe it is connecting with a loved one, connecting with yourself. Maybe it is going for a run. Maybe it is, you know, painting or journaling or just sitting outside for five minutes, you know, whatever it may be, like create this practice where you can be fully present and fully engaged with the part of yourself that is needing to be acknowledged. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what I hear you saying, or at least alluding to also, is that getting involved in meditation, developing a regular meditation practice empowered you to perhaps identify some of the things in your life at the time that didn't really feel so good. So what happens after you pick up your regular meditation practice and get a little bit more comfortable with it? Yeah, that it, it took, wow, I would say it took a good four to five years for it to really uh, start to take root into my life that I started to see the actual changes. You know, I was, yeah, so I started meditating when I was about 15, 16, on and off throughout until I, I graduated high school. And it was then I was on a medication for anxiety at that time. And so that's earlier I'd mentioned that I was I was really overweight for my frame. Uh, and I also was on the McDonald's diet. So that was not helpful, right? So, and when you're a teenager, right, you eat how you eat. And so for us, that's what we did. So uh, I was really going through this sort of shift in my yeah, personal space. Like there was just some, some shift that happened when I, I just didn't feel good in my body, you know, and, and because I was having that time to be still with myself, I was finding that there was a, 
negative person living in my brain that just was kind of a Debbie Downer all the time. And she was just not, she was just not interested in making me feel good. And, and I started to, yeah, like learn more about changing. I was always really like against any of the normal things that you do, you know, all the dieting and the sort of forcing yourself, uh, depriving yourself of doing things like I did it, but it was always, it always felt wrong. Like, did it feel good to me? It felt like I was just not treating myself well. So it took a couple of years for me to start learning about healthy eating. And there was a trainer that a trainer friend of mine that was really into, um, uh, he was getting into Chinese medicine, acupuncture, and you know all these different um, Eastern modalities. And he would talk to me about organic foods and how this is something that's really good for you and it's really helpful, and how important it is for your mental well-being. And it was sort of all happening in conjunction with the meditation practice and moving my body. And so little by little, I started to see the differences. I started to make different choices. I stopped eating fast food. I learned how to cook my own food. And I would go to the, you know, grocery store and get fruits and vegetables and, and try and figure out how to like cook for myself and little, and I started to see the difference right away. You know, I, my body started to change. My mind was changing. My energy was changing. And I started, and then of course, everybody notices, right? Everybody starts noticing. At this time, I was working as a receptionist at a hair salon. And I, everybody that I worked with was like, what are you do? What are you doing? Like, what's the secret? Like, what is happening? You know? Um, and how do you feel about that attention at the time? I didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah. It wasn't, it, because innately, doesn't it make you feel like, well, what was wrong with me before? Right. Yeah. Like, oh my God, what are you doing? You look right. I know that you've been through this transformation before as well. It's like that initial, what are you doing? Like, tell me what you're doing. And as much as you want to share, it makes you feel, yeah, like, wh why didn't you say anything before? And what was so wrong with the way that I looked before? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. and I also appreciate the, as I'll call it, the waterfall effect that you're articulating. The concept that, okay, if I do this one thing that feels good for me and my body, and I know that's good for me, then we feel more excited about the opportunity to do other things that are really good for us. I do think that it takes a certain level of responsibility and awareness as well to not take that a little too far at times, right? But when it starts to cascade into a series of really beautiful and beneficial habits, it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, it really is. But I I think that you said something so key too. It's like when we, we take it too far, because I definitely took it too far. You know, I think that when you're in that experience and you're getting that positive, like the positive feedback from people, mm -hmm. you can't help but get in your head about it. It's like, oh, how do I keep this then? It's like, I don't want the feedback from you, but then how do I keep getting it? Right? What did taking it too far look like for you? Oh, I was, I started throwing up my food. I was, you know, becoming uh, bulimic, you know, it, it was part of this. And, and at the time, as I got older, it became part of this culture of working in the beauty industry, right? Because you need to look a certain way and you need to be a certain way. And at the time for me, this, it, it, again, I think that anytime we are doing something that's harming ourselves, there's like a higher vantage point that we can see what is happening. And oftentimes it's an observation and an awareness that we have, um, where we can really, um, either make a different decision because we have the higher vantage point of seeing what's happening or we're just observing this like self like destruction that is happening. Yeah. So that 
it was interesting as you're saying it when as we're talking about the feedback people would you know ask me like oh what are you doing and I'm like oh you know I do yoga and I go throw up like that's my that's my health plan you know and I'm not trying to sound cavalier about having a eating disorder, I think it's a very serious issue. And I was fortunate at the time uh, to have the right people in my uh, circle. And I did go to therapy and I did do a lot of work around it. And um, so the reason why I say it in, in the way that I do, because I, I knew what I was doing. And I think that for me, having my meditation practice as my anchor point where I could then reflect on what was happening um, really helped keep my focus on that North Star that for me was to just keep going. Like there was nowhere to go. It's like, I know I don't even know where I'm going, but I'm just going to keep going. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsors. First up, gotta give some love to Hurdle's newest sponsor at Eight Sleep. There are a plethora of studies around the importance of consistent and good quality sleep, the lack thereof, and the effects that it has on the body. As someone who pays super close attention to sleep, time, and quality sleep, I definitely know the effects of a night of poor sleep, tossing and turning, how it can dramatically impact me both mentally and physically the next day. Enter my eight sleep pod three cover. I am, gosh, obsessed with this thing. The pod has technology that dynamically cools and heats each side of the bed to maintain optimal sleeping temperature for your body. I can honestly say that since getting my pod cover, I've been having the most restful sleep of my life. Not only am I experiencing less disturbances in my sleep, but I've also seen improvements in my HRV, sleep duration, and overall sleep fitness benchmarks, all stuff that I totally geek out over. I have officially retired from the one leg in, one leg out of the sheets kind of sleeping that I used to do, and I actually look forward to getting into my bed now more than ever before. I want all the hurdlers to experience the kind of sleep I have experienced with 8sleep. So head on over to 8sleep.com slash hurdle to save $150 on the pod at checkout. Again, that is E-I-G-H-T-S-L-E-E-P.com slash hurdle to get $150 off your eight sleep pod today. Also got to give some love to my friends at Inside Tracker. I am always trying to do the right thing for my body so it can provide me with more energy, I can get better sleep, and also upkeep a healthy immune system. That is where Inside Tracker comes in. Inside Tracker, for those of you that don't know, an ultra personalized performance system that analyzes data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness tracker to help you optimize your body and reach your health and wellness goals. Using Inside Tracker was a game changer for me when training for this year's London Marathon. Thanks to the specific insights and customized action plan with science-backed nutrition, fitness, and lifestyle recommendations, I felt better in my body as I went after my big, scary, hairy, <laughs> audacious goals. Now, of course, Inside Tracker is offering hurdlers an amazing discount. Head on over to insidetracker.com/hurdle and get 20% off the entire store today. Again, that is i n s i d e t r a c k e r.com/hurdle to get 20% off the entire store today. In this realization that the goal is to keep going, you want to keep moving forward, how do you break the not-so-good habit? How do you break away from your disordered eating behaviors? 
Well, at the time I was, as I said, working with a therapist and to me, it wasn't like, I know that there are different grades of severity for people, uh, from, from my understanding and my knowledge. Uh, so I can only speak to my experience. Um, it didn't, it didn't actually take that long for me to unravel what was beneath the disordered eating. Um, there was a lot of childhood trauma, as I'd mentioned earlier, there was just a lot of, um, undealt with emotion and experiences that I think really began to come to the surface uh, as I learned more about mental health and uh, again, you know, different practices like yoga and, and mindfulness and the neuroscience of, of how meditation helps. And, you know, just the more I learned, the more things made sense to me. And I think I was always the type of person that felt that knowledge is power. And so I just wanted to know more. Uh, and I've always innately been such a curious person. Um, so for me, I think it, it didn't really take very long to, to be able to break out of it. You know, I, I would say it took maybe about a, a year and a half to two years, maybe to, to really work through, uh, what was happening, you know, and, and the, ability of the ability to be honest with myself and to be honest with the people around me too was, um, yeah, was a, a huge component in that recovery process for me, for sure. And that's really commendable and admirable to get to a place where you develop such a sense of understanding on the importance of doing that, right? On the importance of opening up to others and being honest with others so that you can move forward yourself. You said before that you knew that you wanted to keep going, but didn't know what you wanted to go toward. When do you figure out what's beyond working as a receptionist at the salon? Oh, yeah. No, this is the good stuff. Oh, I thought you were going to ask now. And I'm like, girl, I still don't know. Like, who are we kidding? Come <laughs> on, let's be honest. Um, so after my stint at the salon, uh, we actually, uh, I was at this point managing a, a salon in, in West Hollywood in Beverly Hills. It was the the basis of a reality TV show. So we had done that for a couple of years. That was interesting. Um, after that came to a close, I just, I was really in, I'd run a couple of marathons at that point. Um, I was, I had already done one, uh, yoga teacher training. So I knew that wellness was where I wanted to go. I just didn't know how I was going to get there. And it, sort of happened during the uh, 2008 recession time. The salon ended up closing and I was pretty much left with like no job. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we're in a recession. This is the perfect time to go into business for myself, you know? Um, and I I, I kind of started, but but not really... I ended up getting this opportunity to work with a, a celebrity fitness trainer uh, at the time. And that is really where I began to really shape this idea of creating a platform or a way to uh, work with people, you know, because at this point, my life had really showed me that I wanted to create a, a life in wellness. And, and I didn't at that point really care what that looked like. I mean, I was like, do I need to go back to school and become a psychologist? Like what, how, what, how, what does this look like? And, and I didn't know, you know, at the time I'm like, well, I had gone to college for business marketing and I wanted to get into nutrition. And so I did a couple of, uh, nutrition certifications and, you know, I, I was just kind of doing the small steps while at the same time having a full-time job to really begin to shape this new life. And working with my boss at the time uh, gave me really great experience with regard to sort of building a business. And so did working at the salon. 
And it just really showed me like what was possible, right? It showed me like, oh, this is, you just need commitment, an idea and some good support. I mean, that's really all you need, you know? Yeah. But I mean, you also need to figure out where the money's coming from, right? Right. So for you at the time, (laughs) where was the money coming from as you started to build this business acumen? Well, so I was, I was on fun employment for after I got let go from the salon. So that was, you know, my, my sort of like income at the time. But then I started to do donation based yoga classes at my house. So I'd literally have people in my kitchen, (laughs) in, in, in our kitchen and like in the little back area. And I would just invite people in our neighborhood, neighborhood, like, you know, yoga, free yoga donation based. So I would do that. And I, I'd acquired a couple of, um, uh, private clients and stuff. And so I was doing that right before I started working for the trainer. When I was working for the trainer, I obviously had at that point was working full time. So I had, you know, a, a pretty steady income at that point. Um, but it's, yeah, like those moments where I, you know, have $2 and 11 cents in my bank account and I'm like, Oh my God, how am I going to buy groceries? It's wild. You know? Yeah, totally. Totally. And so you work with the trainer, you gain a new sense of a little bit of inspiration here, and you think to yourself, I'm going to take over the world (laughs) or (laughs) something like that. For me at the time, it was really uh, my my heart and focus has always been on how do I bring this to my people? You know, it's like, how do I bring this to at the time I was working so I could afford to do a yoga teacher training. I could afford to do uh, certification courses because I was working, you know, but actually one of the certifications that I did for yoga, like as I progressed in my training, because I'm I'm like a 500 hour plus yoga teacher trainer, right? So I can train people to become teachers. So one of those certifications was done as a karma yogi. So I was working, like donating my time. I'd go work full time. After work, I'd go and I'd clean the studio and, you know, do whatever else the the studio needed at the time in order to to do the training. Um, so you know, you got to hustle a little bit. There's there's that desire, right? To to really want something. Um, and I think that during that that process of time, you know, you, you really start to, I don't know, like shape what it is that you're wanting and why you're doing what you're doing. You know, I, I aspired, you know, I I had all these, like at that point, you know, I'd see these like beautiful yoga teachers with like long wavy hair, you know, doing all these like fun, cool, fancy flowery poses. And I'm like, Oh, I want to do that or I want to be that way or I want to I want to be like them, you know. But, you know, knowing like that that's not who I am and that's not me and and it's just something fun to to aspire to. I would always revert back to okay, how do I do this but for my people? Like if I was going to teach my aunt how to create a mindfulness or a meditation practice, like how would I tell her to do this? You know, the the mm. issue for me is I wanted to make I wanted to make yoga and meditation and mindfulness accessible f- to everyone, you know. And at the time, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of diverse teachers, you know, to look up to. I mean, there was I mean, we're talking like early 2000s, 2005, 2006, 7, 8, you know, it it was very much dominated by, you know, people that didn't look like me, white people, white women, mm-hmm. you know. And so to me, that was not an issue. But when I'm trying to bring these practices to people like me or people that I grew up with, you know, they they see it as a leisure sport for people that have money, right? So it's like, I remember trying to talk to my dad about meditation and he was like, meditation's for rich people. And I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? You know, meditation is for everyone, you know? And I I went into this whole 
a PowerPoint presentation with him about how important it is for him and for everybody to do that. And, and I think that that's really in me having that conversation, it created radically loved, you know, cause I'm like, no, this is about community. This is about connecting. This is about everyone. This is about making things accessible so that we can all have better mental health, better wellness, more support, you know, less stress, more positivity, happiness, all of the things, you know. Right, right. I, when you just said Radically Love, the name of the book that you wrote, You Are Radically Loved, A Healing Journey to Self-Love, your podcast called The Radically Loved Podcast. Do you feel as though that title, that phrase truly came from feeling as though coming of age that you were without that, that you weren't radically loved? Yeah, I think that for sure. I always felt that love was conditional. And it never felt like something that was just given. It always felt like it needed to be earned. I mean, even up, even up growing up Catholic, right? It was God will love you as long as you abide by the rules, right? Mm. If you don't abide by the rules, then you're not going to be loved, right? It's like, you can do this as long as you do your chores or we can go here as long as it's just everything was so conditional. And so I, I just didn't understand. There were so many paradoxes growing up because I'm like, how is it that God only punishes people when they're bad, but then all these people go to church and there's all these bad things that still happen to everybody. Like it, and this right. was me as a five-year-old child having these conversations, right? Like what is wrong? I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. Something does not equate. So I think that having that understanding of and and what why I loved yoga so much, right? Yoga is the study of paradoxes. You know, I, I really loved learning about the dichotomy between action and result, right? It's like I have there is an action, and then there is a result. So for me, radical love, love was something that it's a verb, right? It's something that you do, but it's also something that you are. To be radical, to me was to have the love be unconditional. Are you capable of unconditionally loving others? And are you capable of unconditionally loving yourself? Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, such a beautiful sentiment, right? I lately have been revisiting this concept of love and thinking about if you want love, then you have to be love and you have to provide that love to your point unconditionally. The way that you love should not be impacted by the way that people love you, but rather you have the choice to show up how you are as your authentic self and what is meant for you will come back to you. Yeah. I love that. Now, today, spoiler alert, I mean, you have worked with everyone from elite Olympic athletes and NBA, NFL players. You've done so many events, so many workshops, your latest venture now working with Headspace. How does it feel now when you reflect on the journey that you just talked about, thinking about how far you've come and where you're at? I mean, Headspace has, I've been such a fangirl of Headspace since I, 2012 like it so it's been 10 years in the making I mean just everything that Headspace stands for and was created you know it was it was created with the mission in mind to help improve the health and happiness of the world I mean to me I'm just like how could I not get on board with this and and I love Andy Puddingcomb's story and and his books like I just I was such a fan. Um, and so, yes, like I recently joined the Headspace team in honor of uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. And we're, we're having we're doing these two special uh, meditations. One is honoring our identity and the other is connecting to community. And so for me, the fact that Headspace 
has not only been an innovator in the space of mindfulness, but also the accessibility and bringing mindfulness to uh, to everyone. I was so excited that they wanted to create this initiative to bring meditation to, you know, different communities and, you know, focus on health equity and and providing, you know, culturally competent resources. Like that to me was something that really spoke to me and definitely aligned with my ethos. So when I was approached with the opportunity, I was you know, I was trying to not show how exactly excited I was, but I was like, <laughs> beyond. I'm like, dude, this is like a dream. I just duded you, by the way. I'm like, dude. I know. I get it. And like, I totally hear you. Like you're excited, but you don't want to let on that you're literally over the moon. Yeah. I've a hundred, a hundred percent been there. This also, you know, you're talking about how great it feels to be able to give back to your community. I know a few times in our conversation, you said, the term, my people, who is your person? Oh, everyone's my people. All you people listening to this, you're my people. That That's what I'm saying. It's like my people. I'm not, I mean, obviously I'm Hispanic, uh, you know, the Latinx, Latin, all of my, my, you know, Spanish speaking, non-Spanish speaking people, like I'm talking culturally, you know, but to me, when I say my people, just the same as when I talk on my podcast, like my people is you, everyone, my people, like it, it's for everyone. You know, even the meditations I created for Headspace, like I very specifically say these are for everyone, like everyone is welcome. And I think that that was my main intention behind everything that I do, right? Is how could we include everyone that feels like they don't have a place now specifically to uh, you know, for Hispanic Heritage Month. Yeah, like there are certain um, elements that I think are very important to address with regard to the Hispanic community, the Latinx community. And I, I look, I love all the diversity and inclusion that big companies are focusing on. Um, I think specifically for the Hispanic population, mental health has been the lowest on the list of priorities. And I feel like just with the times and the last couple of years, what we've been through collectively, I think it's so smart to be focusing on, yeah, creating uh, resources and initiatives and, and making meditation and mindfulness more accessible to everyone. You know, I speak Spanish. And so for me, I'm like, I want there to be more meditations in Spanish. You know, I want to be able to share these meditations with, you know, my little abuelita who's like 90 years old, which she, mm -hmm. by the way, still doesn't really know what I do for a living, but it doesn't matter. You know, I want to be able to <laughs> to share it with her. And I think, you know, yeah. I think all of these are are really important things to to focus on. Someone comes to your Instagram, they see a self-love practitioner, a meditation teacher, a mindfulness instructor, and you've got something like 50,000 followers. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? I, I really just see a person like all those other people followers on there. I mean, I think to me, the platforms like social media are so fascinating. I'm, I'm a people to people person, you know, so social media is really difficult for me because I love to be mm -hmm. in a space. I mean, you were just that bold, right? Like I've spoken at yeah. that conference a couple of times and it's like being around humans to me is, is King, you know, that yeah. is, that is the, or queen, should I say queen? is queen. Um, I love being around humans. So I don't know, you know, I, I, I look in the mirror and I just, I see, I see somebody who is kind and I hope that she, uh, I hope that she continues to pursue that, that, uh, that compass, you know, do I know where I'm going? Yeah. 
No, I don't. Uh, what what you were saying earlier, I'm like, are you asking now or before? Because (laughs) I still am trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. All right. Winding down here, Rosie, right now you have an opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice. Looking back on uh, the dark time in your life, bobbing and weaving, you're all over the place, knowing what you know now, what do you tell yourself in that hurdle moment? Oh, I would just say, don't get discouraged and just keep going. Keep going. Keep Keep going, going. Rosie. I'm so glad that we were able to connect for this chat and I'm happy that we got to have you on the show. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give me all of your details. Yes. Well, you can follow me uh, anywhere and everywhere. It's Rosie Acosta on Instagram, or you can just go to radicallylove.com. If you haven't downloaded the Headspace app, definitely download it and check it out. There's so many practices on there from managing stress to improving sleep, increasing positivity, uh, helping with focus. I mean, there's so many, so many uh, tools there. And you can also search for my name in the search box and do my meditations on the Headspace app. Love it. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.